Hello and welcome to Briffa Soundbites. Join us as we explore the wonderful world of intellectual property and how all businesses, regardless of sector and size, have IP to be unlocked and used to expand and grow the business. Hello, I'm Eamon Chalk, and in today's episode, I will be talking to Jeremy O'Hare. Jeremy is an information expert in intellectual property at the British Library. He previously worked on the British Library's Innovating for Growth program, supporting London businesses to grow their existing enterprise and become sustainable. Jeremy, thanks for joining. Oh, thanks, Eamon. Good to be here. Great to have you. So I suppose to kick, kick things off, uh, a good first question is, uh, how did you get into the IP industry and how did you end up at the British Library? Oh, well, I, I guess like a lot of things in life, they, accidents waiting to happen, aren't they? And uh, in terms of my, my career overall, I, I mean, I was, after I graduated in New Zealand, I was interested in going into libraries and that was that was sort of a good first time job after a graduate in, in a Bachelor of Arts. You know, what else can you do with, with a degree in, in political science and histories, but, but work in libraries, uh, uh, which is what I did. Uh, and then um, I got itchy feet being, being a New Zealander. We all have itchy feet at some point in our lives. And I decided to travel and, and came to London in 1998. And uh, my gosh, how many years since then? Well over 20 years later, um, still here, still traveling. I like to think to myself, even though I feel very much permanent here now. Um, I got into libraries here in the UK and eventually found my my role at the British Library at the Business and IP Centre. Uh, and then uh, over that course of time working at the British Library have, have now um, not coincidentally found my way here into the, into the seat to do with IP, intellectual property. So um, I really started getting very interested in intellectual property when I was getting involved with uh, the business side of things, because I think it's fair to say when we combined our two collections, the business collection and the intellectual property collection, we, we joined them together for a reason, because we the thinking was that business and IP are very much interlinked with each other. And, and so it made perfect sense that that we would work um, holistically. Just as you're saying that, I think it's interesting because we've seen from our own perspective as IP lawyers that very often IP is something that businesses think about almost as an afterthought. And really it's in, it's, you know, kind of in recent years that people see that IP and business are inextricably intertwined. And so, you know, for the BIPC, the Business and IP Centre to be, to be set up at that time and have anticipated that symbiotic relationship is, is, is really good. But you came to libraries first and, and then to, and then to IP, which is interesting. Yeah. So I, I, and I came more from a business information background. That's what I'd picked up in previous roles here in the UK and in, in, in libraries and then, and then discovered the, the wonderful world of IP and, and in particular more the historical side of things, the, the historical patent collection, which we have, which is really the national library for, for patents. You know, we, we are the sort of library for, for the, the IPO in that sense. Um, and uh, we would have lots of queries around historical patents, but, but then of course, as we merged and we gave more um, business advice, the natural service arose that we would give IP um, support as well. And that's around, you know, what you might need to know to file patent applications or an expensive trademarks, designs, uh, and then copyright as well, of course, the, the whole gamut of things. So we, we very much expanded and integrated that part of our service together with, with the business um, section. And, uh, and over time, um, we, we got well conversed in each other's languages, if you like, the, the business team would learn IP and IP would learn business. Uh, and so that was the case for, for a few years. And then subsequent to that, I was 
able to get a position in a, a scale-up program, um, which we were awarded funding for uh, through the, the European Regional Development Fund, called Innovating for Growth Scale-ups, which, which is still running, um, which is a good thing. And uh, as part of that, uh, that three-monthly um, service of advice for scaling up businesses, they would see a number of consultants in different areas. Um, they had the opportunity to speak to an IP attorney um, on that program. And, uh, and after a, a few years, we were able to, to discover Briffer and uh, you applied and we were delighted to have you as part of the, the service delivery there on, on Innovating for Growth Scale-Ups. And uh, I got even more interested uh, in IP, having sat in and overheard many, many conversations I know between you and, and your colleagues and, and the businesses on, on the program. And uh, that certainly whet my appetite. I thought, my gosh, um, this... This is not as clear cut as I thought, you know, uh, and uh, the scenarios that people would sometimes accidentally or not fall into with their IP and just looking at the options and understanding what their positions or relative strengths of their cases might be, uh, or just simply how to how to mitigate against things that could potentially go wrong. All these sorts of conversations for many, many different businesses and many different backgrounds just, again, underlined to me how important um, having good IP conversations are and, 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 and factoring that into, into a business's strategy, absolutely core and key. Uh, so uh, I learned a lot and, and I was even more inspired through that. And then um, just recently a position came up, uh, one of my colleagues retired and it was a position of information expert in intellectual property and I thought, I think, I think I've picked up some things along the way, I'm going to go for this role. This is for me, and I uh, have never looked back, and it's it's been absolutely fascinating. And I'm I'm looking forward to to even more just discovering about IP and learning more and and helping people. That's what it's all about. We're here to help and point people to the right right places for help too. Absolutely, and it's interesting that you mentioned the Innovation for Growth program because it is it is one of those programs where you see businesses from all sorts of sectors with all sorts of issues and you know you and i have both seen in, in meetings with businesses there a common theme is i suppose a lack of understanding about the breadth of ip that's out there or an assumption that when 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 people say ip they mean they necessarily mean something registered like a patent or a trademark mm -hmm. and you know very often the, the 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 first and biggest job that we have is disabusing people of all of that and deconstructing yeah. the whole business and looking at things like maybe valuable know-how or confidential information, uh, things that maybe people mightn't have thought could be registered as designs, things that people mightn't have thought could be registered as trademarks. So yeah, there's definitely, as you say, it's complex. The devil is very often in the detail. Um, but thinking back on that program, have you are, are there particular businesses or experiences that stand out as being particularly interesting or complex or things that really got you going about IP? Oh, for sure. I mean, I, I think there are, let's just say there are general trends that I notice without going into details, but but I, it, the number of infringements around trademarks or borderline disputes with other trademarks was was a fairly regular occurrence. You, you would have at least one business every quarter, and we'd take on 20 a quarter and through the program, on average, at least one, which, which would have some sort of potential trademark issue that I'd have to look at more often than not someone else in their space that was a bit borderline or or a new business that had started up which looked like they were trading passing off um and then just just an innocent 
situations that people find they don't even know they're potentially infringing. That's quite common as well. Uh, I, a few times we've had people just simply rip off their website <laughs> and, and, you know, claim to be them and not, and they would sort of be fly-by-night situations and it's, you know, it's a case of doing what you can, cease and desist, whatever. That would happen quite a few times. And then there have been outright uh, product theft, you know, taking designs and, and remaking and reusing and reselling um, shamelessly. <laughs> so uh, that's a little more rare, but it happens. It happens enough for it to be an issue that needs to be talked about. So no, they, there's always something that would, that would pop up. Um, and it's interesting that you say that the, the, the ones that are rarer, where it's a carbon copy of a product has been made and sold, is usually the one that's the easier uh, the, the easier problem to solve. And the things that, that happen more frequently, like um, you know brand similarities or passing off uh, type situations are very often more difficult to solve because the trademark hasn't been registered or the trademark isn't that, isn't that similar. Um, and I think one of the conversations that you and I have had with multiple businesses in, in meetings is emphasizing the importance of the brand. It's the one thing that every business has in common, whether you sell a product, whether you sell a service, whatever your sector, the one thing that every business has is a name and probably a logo that they're using as you know, the, the, the brand identifiers communicate with, uh, with customers. And very often it's undervalued because people assume what I sell is, is more important to protect than my identity. It's, you know, it's more important to get the patent. It's more important to get the design and people often neglect the, the trademark and then you have your brand issues. Oh, I couldn't agree more. No, and I think it's interesting having you on the program and us hearing these scenarios and, uh, and learning even more about what, you know, we, we can think these things, but we, what's happening out there in the world at large, that's, that's the bigger question, isn't it? And when, when part of that world comes into your offices and you, and you see cases like this, well, you know there's, there's something more significant happening. And what we've, we've learned from this experience is absolutely emphasizing and re-emphasizing the importance of brand and trademarks, because I couldn't agree more that the brand is your, your proxy business. When you're asleep at night, that's the thing that's doing the work for you. And, and that's where the, where the value really lies in that trademark. Sure, the, the, the registered, documented, legally protectable aspect of the brand, but it's the thing you can actually hold on to and, and, and defend. And, um, and you know, the, the, at the end of the day, the bigger the business grows, the, the, the better the, the, the value and the customer perception of the service or the product ho the value of the trademark grows along with that as well and and, and who who wouldn't want to invest in, in that at an early stage uh, to me it's just it's almost you know top 10 things on your bucket list to do in terms of starting a business is, is get that name sorted look at a trademark seriously register it. i mean for the sake of a few hundred quid online and we can speak to, to experts and to get to get the support there as well to make sure you get it through as best you can it's it's an investment worth worth making for the long term. Yeah, and, and, and as early as possible. Mm. Um, and I suppose that, that kind of leads me on to a question that I wanted to ask you, which is about, which is about I suppose, changes that you've seen in, in the IP industry. I mean, do, do you feel like there is better awareness now of things like the importance of branding, even the fact that, you know, lots of businesses are just purely online now. And so being able to exercise monopoly control over things like a domain name or a Twitter handle all links back to 
having that trademark certificate in your back pocket and being ready to wave it at someone if you have to. Do you feel like you know younger businesses are more switched on to things like IP and trademarks now? I think they're certainly more switched on to brand and building profile without a doubt. Um, I think that's now, because you can be quite small, you can be what, what they call in the, in the business a challenger brand, whatever that means, but you can eat away at, at, at some of the larger uh, names and carve out your own space and, and again you know it's that's through your brand and and everything that that stands for of course it's not just the name it's everything that it's wrapped up in, uh, around that so yes I, that is something i have have noticed but it's still even today and but we, let's face it when you're starting a business you don't know what you don't know <laughs> there are many things that that we discover is on well i'm not an entrepreneur i've served many of them but it seems to be the common pattern is that you you just go ahead and you do what you can do and then you discover these things as you as you go along and and there's always this need not so much for educating but for clarifying exactly what it is that people need to know people have heard of trademarks and patents but they may not quite know how it applies to them in their situation right now and and that's where the i think the real useful conversation is had uh, where we can help them to clarify exactly what it is that they need in their IP with their business right now and, and help them to, to nail down a bit of a strategy to get there and, and to, to prioritize what's important. Because, you know, there, there are many forms of IP, some, but some of them will be more pressing and urgent at different times. And it's a case of, I think, the, the founder making the right decision at the right time and, and where to invest. Yeah, I couldn't. I couldn't agree more. And it's it, it's a point that we try to emphasize to people or to clients that that, that come to us for help at Brefa all the time. It's it's very easy to put your head in the sand after you've had that initial conversation about IP because invariably somebody who's kind of done their job properly and done that deep dive into the business and talked about trademarks and passing off rights and registered designs and unregistered designs and copyright in various different materials and database rights and know how at the end of it, you, you kind of say, God, you know, how, how am I going to do all this? And actually, it's after you've done that identification step, then it's the next step, the, the commercial advice and the, you know, looking at what markets you're targeting, looking at when, you know, whether you're pre or post revenue generation, uh, looking at what products are happening first and putting a structure and a plan in place so that you can do things in bite-sized chunks and actually say, okay, we're going to get the trademark sorted out you know, this month or next month, and then in six months time, we're going to review our contracts. And, you know, a few months later, we're going to do our data protection documentation. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's marrying that, that commercial understanding and awareness of the business and the market and, and linking it back to all of those that might be jobs that, that need to be done. It's quite important. But yeah, it's good. It's good to hear that, that um, uh, awareness is increasing, I think. And what about other other changes, not even necessarily to do with IP, that are affecting the businesses that you're meeting? Do you think things like, I mean, technologies? You know, you could you, we could talk about it endlessly for hours, but even you know, political factors, things like Brexit, oh, things well, like yeah. the pandemic, obviously. I, I'm still trying to get my head around it. Um, I, I'm I'm assuming you you getting your head around all of this, uh, the day to day legislative impact of of this change. I mean, you know, I pick up bits and pieces around how how things have have shifted with what obviously as a result of Brexit. People are they just have questions, uh, uh, and I think well, certainly the way my understanding is the the limitation now around things like the 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 EU trademarks and how we've sort of gone off uh, 
you know, with our own sort of, well, not completely independent, but semi-independent system of, of that, at least the system is still there for the continent. You, you can still apply and you get that coverage across the EU. It's just now that the, the, there, are, there are two territories. It's more fragmented. So that, that's just another, just a little extra question, a little bit of extra work that people would have to do um, to, to register. So these, these things, I, I'm sure they'll be ironed out in, in, in due course, but um, just at this stage of transit, well, not transition, we're in it now, but we're trying to work out how things work day to day. Yeah, we we're fine. That's the big change um, for us. Yeah, and as you say, I mean, we technically the transition period is over, but but really we're still in a transitional phase because there are there are trademark there are EU trademarks that were filed before December at the end of December twenty twenty. There is still that priority period until until September twenty twenty one, where people can file. Uh, can, can file trademarks and claim priority, so that you know there are still there are still hangovers or hangups, whatever the phrase is, uh, where people have to strategize and and still contemplate uh, and still contemplate Brexit, e- even just within that very narrow question of trademark protection or design protection mm-hmm. and how to ensure that you you continue to have that protection across across Europe. So yeah, lots of lots of changes. And I suppose that, that's the, that's the uh, retrospective piece. If we think prospectively, um, what kind of changes do you, do you anticipate in, in, in IP, if any, that would be significant? Or, or, or rather, what changes would you like to see to make IP maybe more accessible, to make it better or easier for businesses? Mm. What, what, what kind of things do you think about when you cast your mind to the future? I have more questions and answers around this, and where I instinctively lead to in, in, in my questioning is around patents. Just looking at the, the IP system as, as it is, the, the, the system for trademarks, for designs, the registered forms, seem fairly straightforward. Now, I know we can't compare apples to oranges. There are real differences good differences why a pattern is a pattern and trademark is trademark etc they you can't say they're so easily comparable but i just i just wonder is there is there a way where the system could be sped up or or whether there could be more cost efficient in some way i don't know that i'm i'm just i'm thinking out loud on on this but it just seems to me there's a lot of uh, in investment in time and cost um, to look at getting inventive protection. Um, could it be done differently? It, it seems, I mean, and I think from what I'm picking up, the stats from the IPO suggest that certainly larger and, and middle-sized companies are, are using the system very effectively. It's the smaller companies I'm, I'm not so sure about. You know, it's the individual inventor. How How is the system working for them? Is innovation as accessible as it could be, as protection as accessible as it could be? I don't know the answer to that, but those are the questions I'm asking. And I'm, and I'm you know, I'd be interested to hear your perspective and, and, and others as I'll, as I'll be asking that question. Because I think, to me, it just seems something there needs needs shifting, but I, I can't put my finger on it. No, it's a, it's a really, it's a really interesting observation, actually, because I think you're, I think you're right. The, the trademark system and the and and the the design system the registered design system are, are really accessible 
the instructions on the IPO website are really good. The websites are really easy to use. The, the are. processes are relatively quick. Even with post-Brexit delays now, you're getting registered designs within kind of six or eight weeks. Um, the trademark system is one of the quickest that I'm aware of. You, you know, if, if you don't get a, a threatened opposition, your opposition period is only two months. Whereas patent applications can go on for years. And as you say, there are huge barriers there because unlike designs and trademarks, which you probably could do yourself or with minimal assistance from, from you know, you could take, you could have an initial meeting or a consultation with a trademark solicitor or a trademark attorney and then go and do your business. But, but really you, you're going to come up against serious challenges if you try to file a patent application on your own. So probably you need assistance with that initial advice, identifying the scope of the invention, drafting the specification, drafting the claims, dealing with examiner objections. Um, and you're absolutely right. When we get you know, young businesses coming to us or people who have a really good idea and potentially a really good invention, the issue is that they just don't have the funds at, at that early stage to get the patent application filed. Um, and then you say, because the patent system isn't, or the, the, the European patent system isn't currently unitary in the way that you have a unitary European trademark and a unitary European, uh, or EU rather, um, design right, you don't have that corresponding uh, breadth of protection with patents. So people, even though you have the EPO, which administratively allows you to go and file in all these territories, you ultimately have to examine and pay for patents in all of these countries individually. Yes. And I think very often inventors just say it's not worth it because even if I manage to spend say three or four or 5,000 pounds and get my patent in the UK, um, I have to maintain it. I have to pay my, my renewal fees every year for 20 years. And, also, and, then, and even then, even after all of that, my monopoly is limited to this one territory, this one market. What do yeah. I do if somebody infringes yeah. me in the US or in Europe? Or... And, and realistically, the monopoly, sure, on paper is 20 years. But if you're in, a, in an industry which is fast moving and where there's new innovation, potentially off the back of your innovation, your window of, of, of commercial opportunity, I, I would argue, even is even fewer, is lesser. So, uh, yes, it, it, it begs a lot of questions. Now, I don't know what the answers are, but that's certainly an area I, I'd be very interested in, in exploring a bit more. But I, I do think this is, this is something, there's something there with the system that, that maybe I'm sure there are many others looking at it. Yeah, yeah. That brings me on to my, my kind of last substantive thing that I wanted to ask you, because you are an expert, uh, an expert in IP. And that is, if you were advising a business today, someone sitting at home listening, thinking, I have a brilliant idea for a new product, for a new service, for a new business, what would be, what, what, what's the advice that you would give? What are your few bullet points? Well, first of all, I'd, I'd be very encouraging and supportive. That's great. You've got a new idea. You've got a new product idea or business, whatever that is. One thing I've, I've picked up on is that these people's creations are very personal to them and they get very, very emotionally attached to it and they get very excited about it and, and there's a passion that naturally comes out from, from the opportunity of what they could potentially do. So I want to go with that. I want to encourage that uh, and, and run with that. However, <laughs> alongside that, uh, my advice to anybody, and this is what we would do in, the, in this situation, is also to inject just some grounded realism around what they need to do. What are the next steps? It's great to have that gas in the tank, that enthusiasm. But at the same time, let's just balance that with, okay, let's talk about the steps. What do you, what do you need to do? 
And uh, we have a mantra, uh, and I picked this up from one of our advisors actually on the Scale Up program. I absolutely love it. I wish it was my own. I'll claim it as my own for now. How about that? Copyright infringement. Uh, and, and that is, and this goes for any business, any product, any invention. Uh, and I really believe it is, is not to fall in love with the solution, but to fall in love with the problem. Uh, and I think that's just so fundamental. No matter what you're doing, um, look out in the world, look for where the problems are. Uh, and is it possible to engineer a solution to that problem? And even better, if there's, a, there's an opportunity in that problem where you can get some, some payback for it. You can get a commercial gain uh, by solving a problem. Uh, and I think it's, it's, an, it's a natural thing for us. We all do it. We all get um, excited about the things that we're creating, our plans, our dreams, whatever. And I just think it's, it's much easier to dream up a solution and, and, and have a mismatch and not quite really address a, a problem. So my first bit of advice is to look for the problems and is your idea, your product, whatever it is, does it address sufficiently an existing problem? And then we can we can work from it from there. And then if, if you've kind of tested that out, you, you then follow that up with research, secondary, you know, you can come to the British Library, do some market research. We can help you out on, on that side of the, the desk research side of things. Maybe do a bit of a primary, go out, test field research wherever you can, wherever, whatever that might mean. Get a sense of whether or not there may be some some demand for the, the, the concept. Uh, and then I, I, I think it's fair to say that you've, you've just increased your chances, you know, what, 50% maybe? Who knows? But you've increased your chances. Uh, so that would be my first bit of advice. Check the idea. Is there, a, is there a, a, a solution to a problem? Do your research. Talk to as many people as you can early on, uh, obviously within the confines of confidentiality where that is appropriate. But get a sense of, of, of how realistic that will be. And then uh, people like us, people, uh, solicitors like yourself, I'm sure will, will be more than happy to assist and, uh, and, and encourage you know, uh, it's not just about the business, it's about encouragement too. Yeah, good, 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 good advice, Jeremy. And so before we wrap up then, as you know, we have at the end of these episodes, we like to do a few quick fire questions, which are a bit off topic and are about getting to know you, Jeremy. <laughs> so the, the, the first one of those, and you can be, you can be as disarmed as you, as you like. <laughs> the first question is, uh, what are you most proud of? Oh boy. Okay. Oh, this is such a, a middle-aged male boast it's i'm almost embarrassed to say it okay so i in in my prime note here in my prime i i used to be i used to do marathons uh so i uh, it's, i've i've run four marathons i've run paris a couple of times i've run new forest i've run rome uh never done london that's still on the bucket list um however my my partner has banned me from from doing any more marathons for <laughs> for the good of my my health, ironically enough, uh, and so I don't disappear uh, off into the horizon for hours on end, uh, just running my or sweating my heart out. So um, that that is a very middle aged male boast marathon running. Uh, but those I've hung up my my marathon shoes. Uh, that's something I'm I'm quite pleased with, just quietly. You know, it's it's a it's a nice thing to do. Okay, well, we you're allowed that <laughs> boast, particularly if you have been forced to hang up your running shoes. You're definitely allowed yeah. that boast. Yeah. Um, another question then is, if you didn't work in the library or if you didn't work in IP, what, what would you do, or what would you, what else would you have done? Oh, what a great question! 
I think I would still be in the, the public services in one way or another. It, it, it would be around other people and uh, advising and encouraging what that might look like. I don't know, perhaps a teaching role of some sort. Who, who knows? But uh, I don't dwell too much on these things. I, I, I'm very pleased where, where I am and I'm, I'm, I'm feeling fulfilled and, 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 uh, and stimulated by the, by the people I meet and by, by the topic. It's fascinating, endlessly fascinating. Good, yeah, you're dead right. Why focus on the on the road, not travelled? Um, and then this is one that I know you like because you're a history buff. If you could go back to any time in history for just one day, where would you go, or when would you go, and why? Yeah, so I I would love to travel back to to Bern in Switzerland, to the Swiss Patent Office, round about early twentieth century. And just look over the shoulders of the young Einstein. And the question I want answered was just how much of his day job was there as patent clerk uh, doing his, his paper shuffling and, and how much of it was uh, actually dreaming up revolutionary new ideas in theoretical physics. Where was the breakdown in, in, the, in, the, in his day? That intrigues me. Uh, did he get his job all done in the first half hour of the day? I don't know. Questions that demand answers. Was he skiving? What I'd lo- if if the PMRs existed in those days, I'd love to have read his PMR. <laughs> well, that's a really good one, and that actually leads me on to the last question, which uh, you don't have to answer answer Einstein, but um, who do you admire and and why? You know, I I don't have an individual in mind. I could name any individual and say, well, I admire this person, X, Y, Z person, but I tell you what does move me is when people individuals are realistically persistent in what they do and they they get their their result they they they, their dream is is realized in whatever field that is so it is it is the person that has a sense that they know what they need to do they're realistic about the possibilities of it getting done but they carry on regardless despite the hurdles the the trials the oppositions that they may face they know deep down it's the right thing. They're realistic about it, but they know it's right. And one could think of any number of social reformers, any number of scientists, uh, any any number of inventors, for that matter, that persisted uh, and uh, and got their reward. And I I just well, perhaps there's the marathon analogy there. How about that? There there's something in that that I I admire very much. Um, yeah, it's a it's yeah. a quality that you admire and, and, a, and a good one at that. Okay, well, that's all my questions, Jeremy, and thanks very much for joining us. Thank you, Eamon. Thanks for having me. Our guest today was Jeremy O'Hare. Thank you for listening to Briffa Soundbites. You can subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts. We're also on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Instagram, and you can get in touch with us by visiting briffa.com. <laughs>